Here we go. We begin with Genesis. And then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper as his partner. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's not good that humanity would be alone. Quite a statement for a God who just created everything and yet finds, what is this, a flaw, a mistake? Is there something wrong? Is it part of the plan? It's part of the plan. Humanity is social. We need each other. From the beginning, humanity is social. Human beings do life together. And so this morning is about the church. And the word church, by its very definition, means the gathered ones or the assembly is what church means. Ecclesia in the Greek means the gathering. To be gathered is the church, and the church is the church when the people are together. And as we all know right now, we cannot be together as much as we would like to be together because of the pandemic, and we're getting used to it, right? Yes and no. So this morning, I'm going to give you two levels. First, there's the simple level of church. And then there's going to be the complicated level of church. You're like, okay. The church is the church when it gathers, when it acts like the church. This is the simple level. Just the basic idea of socializing together, of just being people together. You know, the church in its simplest level is when the church worships and when it prays and when it sings and when it listens, when it shares with one another, when it celebrates the Lord's table at the Eucharist. And and then there's the serving of others, the celebrating of others, the knowing each other, getting to know people's ins and outs, their deeper levels. And then there's the loving each other and even loving the unlovable. And sometimes in the church, that's just one and the same, lovable and the unlovable. So let's never forget then That that love chapter, you know, the love chapter, you're like, yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, the one from all the weddings. Love is kind, love is patient, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. This thing's used at nearly every wedding. It's actually in the wedding traditional script. It is not talking about marriage. It's talking about the church. That's what Paul's talking about is the church. Right there, smack dab in the middle of Paul's talk uh, about the church, not about, not about weddings, not about marriages. And those who are in the church, Paul says, must not insist upon their own way. It's not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice when the other political party loses, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. All right. That's the simple church. So before we go any further, let me just name the elephant in the room. You know, that great big thing that polite company don't want to admit or talk about. And here it is. A lot of us don't really mind gathering for church as much anymore. We're getting used to not being together. That's right. I've heard it. I've personally experienced it. And we're kind of like missing church, which means we're not really missing church all that much. So check yourself. Here you go. Here's some levels for you. Level one, you really, really, really miss church. You're just dying for church. Level one. Level two, you miss church, meh, kind of. 
Level three, church? What church? I've moved on. So on the basic level, how much we miss church can be just this, um, I'm going to go therapeutic here. It can be just this, our, our emotional capacity issue. I mean, it could just be, let's all just acknowledge that the pandemic, right, creates an anxiety. You're beginning to see articles and blogs and so forth and research being done that there's this overwhelming, pervasive, smothering anxiety that a pandemic creates for, for human, for the, well, for the whole world, right? And um, it sort of creates this limited capacity to show up, to be, to feel, to think, to love, and all this sort of thing. In other words, this anxiety sort of sucks the life out of us. And the pandemic is just consuming all uh, uh, about extra life. We don't have any margins left, hardly. We just worry. We worry some folks don't want to wear a mask. And maybe they just want things to go back to being normal. Right? But things are not normal, are they? Because we all walk around knowing that hospitals are right now at their capacity. And that the virus mutated much faster and stronger than anybody really thought. Better than stronger than any normal run-of-the-mill flu. And it's enough anxiety just to want to shut you down. So church, church, I'll get back to you. Not now. So we understand. We all understand that the pandemic is crushing. And it kills relationships. Even though... We all feel the need to want to get together with others. It just stuffs us down. And it's got to be okay. We don't have any choice. Fortunately, you know, around here at Lakeland, we've all kind of found ways of being the church, even though it's not really on Sunday morning. We found ways of being together without really touching, breathing, getting too close to each other. And I mean, there's here us in the room. So we found a way to be here. You know, you got everything marked off. We're all six feet apart, supposedly. I think we are. You know, we all got some social distance going on. We're all wearing our masks. So that's one way of being together. It's not normal, but we're, we're figuring it out. We're getting a little used to it. And then there's Zoom. We've all Zoomed, you know, we all reach our Zoom quota pretty quick. About by Wednesday afternoon, you're Zoomed out. And, um, you know, and that's a way of gathering and seeing and speaking and sharing and praying together if you're in the church. And musicians... They figured out ways to rehearse actually online and create pieces and share them around and put things together, track things, even do videos together and so forth. We found ways to be together outside because somehow there's something magical about being outdoors that there is no virus outdoors, right? Mm. Uh, So, you know, we sit around the fire pit and, you know, we play golf and we walk and we do sports and we do stuff like that outside. And the church bumps along like it did on last Monday night at Hanging the Greens, uh, when we just found a way to be here and yet kind of go off in our corner and do our decorating and be our part. And I mean, it worked, right? I mean, dude, look around. Like, is that super cool or what? You know, Christmas elves working on these trees until after three o'clock in the morning, you know, just enjoying every bit of pizza and decorating, I think. So I don't feel too... uh, uh, you know, it's a little, I feel some compassion for their employer the next day, but nonetheless, um, they worked hard and enjoyed every moment of it. So, point is, there's more than just simply one way to be the church, and we're all figuring out new ways together and how to be together and yet kind of not really be together. So 
So just step back for a moment then at this point as we talk about church. Why church? It should be the natural question to be asking, kind of at a philosophical level. Why church? Are there not plenty of other organizations out there that help the poor like the church does? Lee Summit Social social Services, Harvesters, uh, Habitat for Humanity, Restore. I mean, right on down the line. There are plenty of philanthropic, good-doing organizations out there, right? And are there not many other organizations out there that have rituals? If you're a ritual kind of person, you got fraternities and sororities, and you got uh, the Masons, whatever that is, and then you got PEO. What's PEO? Well, you're not supposed to know. That's their secret, whatever PEO is. My, my wife said it stands for um, people eat oatmeal. So I don't know. Like Most of you are sitting around saying, like, I've never heard of a PEO. Like, exactly. That's, they got secrets. That's what they're there for. I think that's actually the whole reason why they exist is to have a secret. Um, so, you know, you got rituals out there and so forth. And are there not plenty of organizations and nations that have symbols and pledges and flags and colors and songs and anthems and ideas like freedom and liberty and equality and democracy? How is the church any different than all of these secular, non-spiritual, religious-type organizations? Moreover, if we reduce the church down to simply another do-gooder organization, why even have church? Why even gather? There are plenty of other options out there. Well, to answer this, we've got to turn to the complicated level of church, that deep, holy, mysterious, thick, cosmic, cosmic thing where God and us come together. Somehow, God and us humans are bound together through Jesus Christ. Somehow, in some function, in some mysterious spiritual way, God and us come together through Jesus. How does that happen? And so we're going to get some serious help on this, and we're going to turn to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You should know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's got to be on your short list of authors and people, names and faces, important people you got to know. So I think we got a photo of Bonhoeffer up there. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, author of one of the most popular and important Christian books, The Cost of Discipleship. Ah, you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that title, The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer knows the cost of discipleship because it cost him his life near the end of World War II. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a 20th century Christian martyr. Bonhoeffer is important because he chose to return to his home in Nazi-occupied Germany, even though everyone warned him that he should not go back to Germany because he was visiting in America for a short stint, mostly hanging out in African-American churches, by the way, in Harlem. And teaching. They told him, don't go back because, Dietrich, you're going to be thrown in jail if you show up. You've already been forbidden to teach and to speak. He was cut off on the radio, and that's what put him on the Gestapo's radar years before, in 1939. But Bonhoeffer is a genius on the church because he also wrote a less popular book than The Cost of Discipleship, another book. That's really brilliant, and it's called Life Together. And it doesn't make the top 100 Christian uh, titles out there. Nonetheless, it's strikingly important, and here it is. Not a real thick book, as far as its 
you know, thickness goes. But important nonetheless. Bonhoeffer's life together then explains the deep church as this. So hang on. This is worth the price of admission right here. No one can possess and control the true spiritual community. No one can possess and control the church. Any more than one can control and possess Christ's gift of salvation. Got it? No one can possess community because you cannot possess the gift of salvation from Christ. Therefore, Bonhoeffer says, if an individual believes that they can be a Christian apart from other Christians, then they have denied the need for Christ, and they are not Christians. I thought about just tweeting this out so people could sit around and scratch their chin and think about this sort of thing. I still might do it. The idea here from Bonhoeffer is that if you need Christ for salvation and Christ is therefore present in the gathering of the believers, therefore it is needful then to be with Christ and to experience that salvation and redemption, you must be with the other believers. That's the thick thought. Now, Bonhoeffer was no hypocrite. He didn't just spout off fancy things like this. He was smoking what he sold. And in 1939, when he was visiting America, he received this call to go back to the struggling little underground hidden church in in Nazi-occupied Germany. The Gestapo already had forbidden Bonhoeffer from being out in public. And so he traveled around secretly teaching and encouraging in little enclaves of secret hidden Christians in Nazi-occupied Germany. And uh, we have to understand that, that Bonhoeffer was a committed pacifist. And so it's really, really interesting that because of his sister and his brother-in-law, he becomes involved in a plot to overthrow Nazi Germany, basically by assassinating Adolf Hitler. And he wrestled through this thing very much so, and he decided Bonhoeffer believed it, this, and I'm quoting here, he believed it was a sin to, quote, to withdraw from those who were participating in resistance, and it would be irresponsible cowardice and flight from reality. And shortly before the Allied forces liberated the concentration camp in Flossenburg, where Bonhoeffer was, on April 9th, 1945, remembering that the war comes to a conclusion in May in the uh, European theater in 45. April 9th, 1945, by special order of Heinrich Himmler, Bonhoeffer is executed. Bonhoeffer believed the church was not a human creation. The church was something no one could possess. To belong to the church was either to belong to Christ or have salvation. And that's why he went back to the church in Germany. You either belonged or you didn't. You either had salvation or you didn't. And therefore, Bonhoeffer's return to Germany cost him his life. And so I I wonder... I wonder if all of us have and hold a high belief in the church as belonging to Christ. 
I'll confess that this concept of church, growing up in a small Southern Baptist church where it's what's called low church, and so for all of you who come from a Catholic or an Episcopal or Anglican background or Lutheran, you're like, I I don't get it. I've always understood this. But for me, growing up personally, I left the church of my childhood at 16, and I didn't return for over 10 years. But I did young life youth ministry, hanging out with disinterested kids. And that was my church because I was useful and I was productive and I was missional and I was evangelistic. And then I wanted to take that very same sort of young life youth ministry thinking and put it toward adults my own age. And so we started Lakeland. And at that point, I was forced to wrestle through the question because I'd never been faced with it at that point. What is the church's purpose? What is the church? Really? I've been wrestling with it ever since. So when we started Lakeland, I had this six-week, six-week course called Jumpstart Your Spiritual Journey. And in Jumpstart, uh, over six weeks, you know, we got to know each other. Uh, it was fun. We got to read scriptures together. I explained our version of salvation. I taught our vision. I taught that our picture of atonement was a reconciliation atonement, um, like the prodigal son coming home to the father, and that all of us ragamuffin prodigals have a father who's waiting for us to return home, and uh, Jesus is the bringer of this redemption. So I was getting everything clear with everyone. And then somewhere near the end of six weeks, I, I after we all know each other really quite well, I ask everyone, I'd say, and every time I did it, and I didn't have an answer, and I'd ask like, so can someone be a Christian without being a part of the church? And everyone answered, well, sure, I'm a Christian. But I was still wrestling through it. And I didn't say like, oh, we're wrong. That's the wrong thought. I didn't know. But it kept coming up. And then over the years, I realized that Americans, you know, the reason why we answer, yeah, we can be a Christian without the church is because we Americans highly, highly value, put a very high price on individualism, on freedom, on choice, on authenticity, and you've got to be you and do your own thing. And we don't like being told that we're not the center of our own universe, bluntly. And so allow me then to repeat Bonhoeffer's key theological scripture at this point. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed, and it is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in, Jesus, that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. Romans 3, 21 through 25. Therefore, since this righteousness is external to the person, then the individual needs another person's help, namely Christ. If you received Christ you, that, and you did not earn it, You should be nodding like, yes, I didn't receive Christ through what I did. Then you need another's help and therefore need other Christians 
since they are the body of Christ, the church. Now, if you're sitting around scratching your head going like, what? I told you it was complicated. It's because it flies in the face of our most deep ingrained values as authentic, private, freedom-loving Americans. And we think we can be a church all by ourselves, But that's not in Scripture. So what am I saying? Everybody needs to race back to church despite the pandemic, you know, pandemics be damned and all that. No, there is a time and place for everything under heaven, Ecclesiastes 3. And our time right now is Advent, the coming of the King Jesus. And so it's a time right now during the pandemic when we are apart and we should long to be together. And so gather your family, I mean your immediate family, and participate with the church, the whole church, the worldwide church of Christ. Light the candle of hope tonight. Play the game if you want, if you got little kids, or if you don't want to run around, that's fine. Light the candle of hope, play the game, read the scripture, and answer all or some of the four discussion questions that are on there. And then pray, pray the Lord's Prayer, pray for others, write their names on a slip of paper, and put them out there, leave them there all week after you've prayed for them, and then share the benediction and snack on. And that's what you do. And you have joined in your brothers and sisters in Christ, being apart and yet together, by lighting a little symbol of a candle and praying the prayers. This is what the church is doing. This is all we can do these days. This is how we need Christ. So, in good Bonhoeffer tradition, I'll invite us at this point to arise, rise up everyone, and we will say the Apostles' Creed. You're about to make many, many statements of belief, but there is one here that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote his doctoral dissertation at 21 years old, his doctoral dissertation at 21 on the communion of saints. So when you say, I believe in the communion of saints, you are saying, I believe I cannot be a Christian apart from the communion of the other saints. Put that in your pipe and smoke it as you read all the rest of these beliefs here. Here we go. All together, everyone. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.